This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. The transition from July to August is always an eventful span across the college football landscape. And here in Happy Valley, we are currently in the thick of it. We'll be looking back to the final weekend of July, which was a major recruiting event for the Nittany Lions. And forward to this first week of August. Today is August 1st as we record. In just a matter of about 30 hours or so, Penn State will have its first preseason practice in the books. The first chance for these coaches to work with players out in the field, practice setting since back in April when they were out and completing their spring ball in Beaver Stadium for the Blue-White game. So just about a month out from West Virginia visiting Beaver Stadium, we'll be back out in the practice field as well on Wednesday for our first look at a portion of Penn State practice and get a chance to provide practice notes over for our VIP subscribers at lines247.com. We'll have Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen, my Lions 24-7 colleagues, on this podcast in just a little while to look ahead to preseason camp, some of the unanswered questions that we're really curious to start diving into this month, and generally some player development storylines that could help determine whether Penn State fulfills those expectations of breaking through and getting into the college football playoff for the first time. But we'll begin this episode by... Again, looking back at the weekend that was, Penn State hosted its final Elite Prospect Showcase Camp event of the uh, summer. That happened on Friday. We were out there for the event. And then on Saturday, the Lash Bash Barbecue took center stage here in Happy Valley. Always a go-to destination uh, for recruits across the region. It was the same this year. And uh, on the recruiting trail, Tyler Calvaruso has been getting after it. If you follow our coverage at lines247.com. In fact, anyone can check out our VIP stories on Tuesday. If you're listening to this one on Wednesday or Thursday, I'm sorry you missed your chance. But today is our free day nationally across 24-7 sports. So that includes our site, uh, lines247.com. If you head over there now, even if you're not a paying subscriber for the moment until midnight on Tuesday, you'll get a chance to check out all the VIP content. There's a bunch of it. The paywall goes back into effect Wednesday, 1201. And then you got to pay that. We do have a great discount coming your way, though. We'll talk about that later with Mark Brennan. But Mr. Calvaruso, you've been cranking out the story since we walked off the uh, practice field Friday from camp. And you really haven't stopped here as we, as we check in with you on a Tuesday. And for good reasons, hundreds of campers on uh, in town on Friday and then Saturday, dozens of priority prospects right here with Penn State staff. Yep, it's safe to say there's been a lot going on, and it's been fun to cover. You know, Lash Bash is always just such a uh, – it's such a fun event to cover. You're seeing all the priority underclassmen make it to campus. And it's one of those events where it's not necessarily one that always leads to a lot of commitments, but it's more of a building block event where you continue to solidify your relationships with the underclassmen that you're prioritizing. You get to know them more on a personal level. And that is something that plays to the strengths of the staff as well. When you look at some of the personalities that Penn state has on staff and how widely praised some of those assistant coaches are when it comes to being able to relate to recruits and form relationships with them. So an event like the last bash, you know, it's the biggest event of the summer and it's a really big event for the staff to show these recruits what they're all about, not just as coaches when it comes to X's and O's, but who they are as people and how, you know, if you were to come to Penn State and take your talents to Happy Valley, what would it would be like to be around those guys on a daily basis? It's an event that carries just so much value, and Penn State is able to make headway with a lot of its priority recruits coming out of an event like Last Passion. That was something that the staff definitely accomplished this weekend or this past weekend. 
Yeah, that occurred on Saturday just to give people a scope of, of what went down in terms of our coverage. Uh, Grace Brennan, uh, our photographer, we like to call her the intern around these parts, but Mark's daughter, who's been you know on the beat with us uh, for several years now, shooting a photography of Penn State practices and games and recruiting camps, uh, live on location for the start of Lash Bash as, as, as those players are rolling into town. Bunch of photo galleries uh, from the last few days. Uh, we have not just that, but the NIL event in Avalon, which took place Thursday night and also Friday's camp. But I wanted to point to that because that's really all we're going to get out of Lash Bash. You see these guys arrive. We're not there. You know, we're not sitting and, and having barbecue plates with these guys. So everything we're hearing about it is going to come from either the staff or, or, or from these players themselves, prospects themselves afterwards. And you've heard a lot from those prospects. And I think I want to start uh, in terms of weekend visitors with a junior college visitor. Now, there's some underclassmen we're going to talk about, those 2026, 2025 guys, even beyond that, actually. But pretty pressing situation when you've got a junior college camper or a junior college visitor on your campus about, what, five months away from him landing with the Power 5 program? Yeah, it is. And I'm seeing Lalea was essentially in a class of his own, a league of his own, making it to campus. He was the only 2024. It wasn't the only 2024 recruit. Andrew Default, the long snapper for Massachusetts, was there as well. But Lalea, I mean, when it comes to his placement on the Penn State board and where he's at and how badly the staff wants him, he was arguably the most important flash bash vision and when it comes to the right here and now because that's one penn state wants to get done and he's inching a little bit closer to a decision so this was an interesting weekend for Sione lalea in a couple of ways first you know he decides i'm gonna venture off the west coast this weekend gonna check out miami check out penn state miami was first saturday he gets to penn state and this time around, he brought his mother with him. That wasn't something that happened during his official visit during the first weekend of June. It was just him. He brings mom to campus to help her get a better feel for the Penn State staff. He wanted her to see why his relationship with Terry Smith is so good. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about distance playing a pretty big part in Sione Lola's recruitment. And for good reason. That's why I still think Oregon has a slight edge in this race. But... If you're bringing mom across the country, I think it's pretty indicative of your level of interest in said program. I mean, if you're bringing her out there to see if she's comfortable sending her son across the country to this specific group of people, it shows that he is seriously considering playing at Penn State. And it seems like all went well with mom on that front. You know, the relationships were formed pretty nicely. And I think there's a lot more comfort between the two sides now, overall, from a bigger picture perspective, I think Sione got a better chance. And this is something that's been pitched to him for a while, but it was reinforced that he's going to have the chance, you know, next season to come in. The door's open for him to make an impact right away. I mean, Penn State has been recruiting him as a guy that it feels can come and make an impact in its secondary in 2024. And when you look at the depth chart and you look at what Penn State is going to have to replace next season, mm -hmm. it is a pretty understandable thought process, and it's understandable as to why that has been the pitch. The door is open for Lalea to see the field from day one, and that is something that he really, really likes about Penn State. So I think the needle – I think it's pointing up right now for Penn State. I still think Oregon has the edge, like I said. I do think ge geography is still – a pretty big deal here. And when you talk about a recruitment that involves programs like Oregon and Miami, you got to figure NIL is going to come into the equation at some point. That's not one of those things that is driving Siona Lalea by any stretch. That's not something that I've heard come up in his recruitment as a big factor in the decision-making process. It's more about comfort relationships and developmental plans. And I think Penn State definitely has the developmental plans and relationships going for it with Lalea. So we're going to have to see. It's getting really interesting. You know, I think coming out of that June official visit, I was kind of pessimistic about Penn State's chances of getting back in it with Lalea, just based on what we were hearing about distance. And I think now, as we're now here on the first day of August, Penn State is a lot closer to getting this one done than it was, I would say, last month. So credit to the staff for stay, sticking really with this race. You know, it's been it's been a hard recruitment, you know, going out to California for a Juco corner. Terry Smith deserves some credit for keeping really driving Penn State here. And when Malaya closes in on a decision, we'll have more coming. 
Yeah, a couple of follow-ups here. Uh, Lalea did put out a top five yesterday. It's uh, Miami, Oklahoma, Oregon, Penn State, and USC. Um, I know that Brandon Huffman, our, our national analyst who's based on the West Coast, had more on that. It's at lines247.com. He's the nation's number one junior college prospect in the evaluation of 24-7 sports, but he only had one offer coming out of high school. You hear these kind of stories so much. I believe it was Sacramento State, so we're not even talking about a Power 5 yeah. opportunity coming out of the high school level. Uh, and here he is now coveted. You heard the list of teams that he's, he's sorting through right now. It's a, it's a pretty a premier list of Power 5 programs that he's whittling down and working through the process. And going back to your point about the cornerback room, a junior college player making that jump, he, he's this is he's coming from a very strong junior college program, yes. by the way. The College of San Mateo, they were the national champions last year. San Mateo is, is really his hometown. That's where he's, he was playing high school ball. Very close to San Francisco is San Mateo, if people don't know where that is in California. Um, but ultimately, you know, we're looking at, uh, a junior in Kalen King. Things go according to plan. He's going to be in the NFL next year. You got Johnny Dixon uh, down to his last year with the Nittany Lions. Really big things are expected for him. And then Daquan Hardy, who's quietly had a key role for this team for years now in the nickel nickel package. Uh, you're going to see him have a big role again in 2023. And then unless he uses COVID eligibility, he could be gone next year. So that's a lot exiting uh, from your cornerback room. We've talked about some of the burgeoning young talent, but uh, Sione, Sione Lalea, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. Tyler, appreciate the reporting on that, but let's get back to the high school prospects uh, a bunch of commits were on campus guys like Grunka Meyer uh, Luke Reynolds uh, Donovan Harbor the list goes on Quentin Martin uh, a, a bunch of them were and that's always good to get them with the uncommitted prospects but we don't have a lot to talk about with 2024 uh, and, and guys who are still looking to make their decision so where do you land when we look a little bit further down uh, that timeline into the 2025-2026 class some of the conversations you've had that stood out my really a lot centering around the offensive linemen who were in town for last bash, Owen Alessine from Yvonne Old Farms in Connecticut, Will Black, the Ontario native up in Canada, who's going to be playing at Choate Rosemary Hall starting this fall. That's a prep school in Connecticut for those who might not be too familiar with it. And Mike Carroll. I mean, Mike Carroll someone we've talked about a bunch, you know, Penn State legacy, in-state prospect. It just – I mean, Michael Troutman from the Paul Catholic in New Jersey, Khalil Stewart from Philly. He's over at St. Joe's Prep now. He spent the first two years of his high school career at Roman Catholic. He's over at Prep. I mean, it was a very impressive group of offensive line visitors. All guys Phil Troutman wants, all guys that he is prioritizing, and all guys who held their own during the Saturday morning mini camp that Penn State hosted before Lash Bash kicked off, those guys, they showed a lot of good things to the staff based on what we've been hearing and feedback from that. So that was, you know, kind of the centerpiece of it for maybe some of the conversations I've had, but they go, there was a lot beyond that. I mean, Beckham Critz, the 2025 quarterback, who we've talked about a bunch, he was on campus. Relationship with Mike Yurchish was solidified. Kenoa Winston, you know, cousin KJ Winston, he made it. This was his first, like, real Penn State visit. He had been to campus before to participate in seven on sevens with Gonzaga in Washington, DC. So he has been to Penn state and he's he entered somewhat familiar with the campus, definitely familiar with what the program has to offer given his relationship with his cousin. But this was his chance to really get to know Anthony Poindexter better. And he already has a return date lined up. He's going to be coming he, back. Top 100 prospect, by he's the way. He's really good. Top, yeah. Top 100 guy, not just the cousin of a current player, yeah. which is nice, but a top 100 prospect already for 24 seven sports. He's legit, man. And then in 26, you know, you had the big time in-state kids. We've been really talking about a lot since June. Messiah Mickens was in town. Kevin Brown was in town. Elias Coke was in town. Maurice Barnes was in town. It was a very, uh, it was a very well balanced visitors list. There was a lot of star power in 25, a lot of star power in 26. You had some star power in 27 as well with a saw heard from Winslow Township you know, over at Bill Belton School. He got an offer. Larry Moon, Pittsburgh native, was going to be at Central Catholic. He got an offer. So th there was a lot going on this weekend spanning three classes, really four classes if you include Lalea in 24. And Penn State staff was all over the place strengthening relationships, but those are the guys really standing out. Oh, and Albert Hill as well, the elite 2026 cornerback from Ohio. He had a really good visit. And I think Penn state is actually going to have some staying power in that recruitment. I think Ohio state is the team to beat for Elbert Hill, but Penn state seems like the relationships early on looking like Penn state's going to have some staying power with the Ohio native. So that's going to be one to keep an eye on as well.
Yeah, Albert Hill may have been as impressive as of any defensive back yeah, that we saw in, in camp setting for Penn State this summer. And and you got to remind yourself, he's only going to be a sophomore this season. The offers are there. Uh, he doesn't have a rating or ranking yet. They're going to be high, though, when 24-7 sports eventually releases them. The size is already pretty legit. The speed is on its way up. The competitive nature is there. Really like Albert Hill. And, and like you said, it's, it's hard to ignore the fact that Ohio State's in the neighborhood there. Um, and Ohio State, if they want him, and it, I, I'm thinking they do, um, but like you said, Penn State's a couple visits this summer seem to be in a good spot coming out of it. Uh, I wanted to circle back to one of those offensive linemen you talked about. He's a Nittany Lions uh, legacy and, and, and Michael Carroll, though, but it feels like every time I check Twitter or every time I check X, I'm sorry, Elon Musk, he is putting out a new offer. Uh, a couple today, yeah. uh, he got Wisconsin and Virginia Tech here on a Tuesday. I know he followed up the Penn State visit with the trip up to Ann Arbor. He left Michigan with a Wolverines offer. Um, look, legacy guy. We know he was thrilled to get that Penn State offer in June following a camp appearance, but things are starting to really blow up for the 2025 prospect. Yeah, it's not one of those recruitment that's going to be cut and dry Penn State. Penn State's going to be tough to beat for Mike Carroll. There's no doubt about that, but he's got some pretty intriguing offers to his name at this point in his recruitment, and it, I, you love to see that come together for him. He was talking to me coming out of his Penn State visit from the Whiteout camp in June. You know, wasn't really sure if he was ever going to get to this point. There were certain parts of his recruitment where he was wondering, you know, when am I going to blow up? When am I going to catch the attention of these power five coaching staffs? And that has happened. I mean, Penn state is offered, Michigan state is offered Rutgers, Michigan jumped in. He made it to Michigan on the 30th after visiting right. Penn state for the last bash, got his offer from the Wolverines that day. He's picked up a couple of offers. Like you mentioned, since the contact period with high school juniors open today. And it's a recruitment that is going, the stock is going to keep going up. I think, and I think when it comes to Penn State's biggest challenger here, I do think you have to keep an eye on Michigan, even though that offer just came in. It seems like one that he is intrigued by. I think Michigan State has a little bit of juice given his mom played basketball there. You know, Penn State's not the only place he's a legacy. Granted, there's a little bit more weight on it given his father played for the Nittany Lions, but mom played hoops at Michigan State, so the Spartans are getting a look. I think, I think Rutgers is involved as well. Rutgers got a visit from Carroll before he made it to Penn State, so... This isn't a clear Penn State pick. Yeah, I do think at the end of the day that the Nittany Lions are going to be the ones to get this done just based on the intel we have and, you know, conversations we've had with Michael himself. But it's not one that's going to wrap up anytime soon. I, I think he's going to go through the process and take his visits and see what comes about at different schools and see what other offers come in as well. You know, there's, he's got his junior season coming up. There's still, there's still tape that needs to circulate and that might catch the eye of some coaching staffs around the nation, but he's going to be one of the better 2025 recruits in Pennsylvania. I mean, he already is, but, and Penn State's going to want to get that one done, but it, not so fast. You know, you got to see what comes about with these other programs involved now. Yeah. Sticking in the state of Pennsylvania, a guy that I caught up with following Lash Bash was Elias Koch. I know you mentioned him among those top 26 visitors that yeah. came through town on Saturday. Um, we saw him on, on campus back in June. He was one of the stars of the seven on seven tournament, helped Harrisburg win the title, ended up going home with an offer that day. His next offer will be his 20th before his sophomore season. He's got a ton of power five interest. It feels like about half the, the, the Big Ten conference has already offered Koch. And he's really not specified where he plans to play or prefers to play. We know safety is certainly a projectionable spot for him at the power five level, but so is wide receiver, which is where he really uh, did his damage during the seven on seven tournament. And he told me he spent most of his Saturday visit with wide receivers, coach Marcus Hagans during the barbecue. It was him and his family and Hagans and his sons, uh, you know, part of the gathered group there. So uh, maybe leaning a little bit toward offense right now, which I can completely understand. And I, I would actually endorse based on what we've seen from this kid, but six to 190 plus pounds as a rising sophomore. He's one of those two sophomores out of Harrisburg that are going to gain national notoriety in the coming years and already have Penn State's attention locked in, along with Kevin Brown, the offensive tackle who we have raved, raved about. For as good as Elias Koch was that day in the 7-on-7 seven -seven tournament, over at the Big Man Challenge, Kevin Brown may have even been more impressive than that as a rising sophomore. So they were both back in town for the Lash Bash. It's always a good thing to keep these guys getting back to campus. So 
Look, you said it, we were ranging from 2027 class to 2024. I even pushed it further. You had a, a Sion uh, – I can't even say it now. The other Juco prospect on campus who, uh, if I recall correctly, is a 2022 high school prospect. And then you had 2027 high school prospects yeah. at this Lash Bash. So it is a remarkable span of guys that the Penn State staff is doing their diligence on trying to make an impression upon and send home feeling good and rosy about the Nittany Lions. We're talking about a span of six years there. And that just kind of goes into to what you're looking at. Short-term fixes, long-term solutions, all the stuff that the staff needs to, to be focused on day by day here. Uh, I wanted to get to the camp that we witnessed on Friday. There's a ton more from Lash Bash over at Lions247.com. A bunch of individual stories, some collective stories as well. Uh, Brian Doan now uh, now right off of vacation chiming in with some uh, coverage as well of Lash Bash. But Tyler, the way it worked on Friday because of uh, there was a weather delay and then they split these guys up. I stuck around at Penn State's Haluba Hall, their indoor practice facility, to watch the, the pass targets pretty closely. Wide receivers, tight ends do work. You went over to the intermediate fields which is where the linemen relocated to and that was one of the stories of camp on friday it was the fourth and final elite showcase event for penn state where they gathered hundreds of prospects in town once again we're keeping an eye on a few of them in particular and all five offensive line commits were on campus working under the guidance of phil troutwine and frank leonard and you were there to see it yeah all five offensive line commits in attendance for that camp and all five of them showed why they're Penn state level linemen and why there's, they are so highly ranked and highly thought of in the industry. Really? I mean, Cooper cousins is Cooper cousins at this point, right? I mean, every single camp that he shows up to, he dominates and you see the nastiness and I've said it once and I'll say it again. When you have a guy like Cooper cousins show up to a camp and dominate with physicality, the way he does with no pads on, your mind kind of starts to run wild because you start to think about what he's going to do with guys when the pets go on and how much he's going to ratchet up his physicality and what he's doing in a campsite. I mean, he's manhandling guys. So once the pads go on, I think you're going to see a really dominant senior season from Cooper cousins, Donovan Harbor. I really liked watching him work. This is my first time getting the chance to see him in person. You know, he's, He's a big kid, man. His, his listing is definitely accurate, and he plays with a really strong lower base, moves really well for a player who is pushing 330 pounds. I, I'm excited to see what Donovan Harbor can accomplish once he gets in the weight room with Chuck Losey and you know does a little bit of a recomp and shed some of the baby fat that he still has left on him because, man, that kid is a beast. He is strong, really strong lower half, and that's what you like out of an interior offensive lineman, you want him to have that strong lower half as a run blocker and not get moved around. He want to be the one doing the moving around. And that's what Diamond Harbor was doing in a camp setting. I mean, Garrett Sexton was impressive at tackle. I had a clip of him that wound up going posted on Twitter, of him getting a pancake off the edge. And that was a pretty impressive play and what, on what was an impressive day for him. Egan Boyer, you know, he's very athletic. Attack. I mean, he was pushing 4-8 in the 40-yard dash during testing at the Friday's camp, which for a tackle of his size, I mean, he's 6'7". I mean, that's just – that's ridiculous. But I talk about all these guys. I think my favorite guy to watch on Friday was actually Caleb Brewer. I, I think it was the best that Caleb Brewer has looked on the offensive line this summer. I mean, Penn State was running him through drills at all five offensive line positions. James Franklin was challenging him during these one-on-ones, ask him if he was tired, and Brewer was giving him a resounding no every time. They challenged Caleb Brewer, and he answered, man. And one thing that I noticed about Brewer was when they had him lined up at tackle, he looked really good in pass protection compared to where he was last month. So it's very clear to me that he's been putting in some work ahead of his senior season. He's bettering his game, and I think that culminated in his best camp performance of the summer. So, listen, you're a Penn State fan. You should, one, you should be praising Phil Trowling for this offensive line class that he's built. And two, I think it's legitimately time to get start getting really excited about the potential some of these kids have. I think yeah. after seeing all five of them in person working in that – and again, it's camp. I understand it's different than when the pads go on. But when you flip on the film of some of these guys, you see that translate. You know, They're not just getting it done in shorts and O-line, D-line drills. They're getting it done when the pads go on as well. And then you have two guys – Bookend tackles and Megan Boyer and Garrett Sexton, who are still physically developing, and in Sexton's case, still developing as a tackle overall, you know, as a guy who is newer to the position. 
So there's a lot for Phil Charlene to work there as well. So really coming out of Friday, my biggest takeaway, and granted it was the majority of what I saw throughout the day based on my placement, but this offensive line group as a whole, I think has a really high ceiling. And we know they're trying to stack classes in general, but what they're trying to do in the offensive line and stacking things, uh, it was a smaller offensive line class that they signed last year, but you end up with Drew Shelton out of it, who's a, a starter at left tackle for you down the stretch of your season to the Rose Bowl, and v- and Venga Ioane, who's really got stirred a lot of buzz going into year two at the offensive guard position. And then you look at what they brought in this past year, Javen Williams, Alex Birchmeyer, Anthony Donka, Jim Diono. I mean, it's a special group, blue trips across the board, and, and now we're starting to get a sense. And I think what's interesting in, is here, it's not a cookie-cutter group, right? I mean, these are not clones of each other by any means. I think Garrett Sexton, really impressed by his development. He's, he's over 260 pounds, pushing toward 270 pounds at six foot seven. He's starting to really fill out that frame. Uh, Egan Boyer has a lot longer to go in that process. Uh, he's a very thin guy for when you're talking about an offensive line prospect across the country. You look at him out there, but wow, can he move at that size? And the coordination stands out and, and the competitive streak stands out. And, and from the way you described it in some of the footage I saw, he can really produce some strength despite that lack of weight that he's going to eventually tack on when he gets to campus. And just going back to the other guy that I hadn't seen yet, because we had seen a couple, uh, Brewer a bunch this summer. We've seen Cousins a bunch this summer and last summer, but got got a little bit of, uh, I guess, a reminder of C.J. Thorpe uh, watching Donovan Harbor compete a bit. Thorpe, of course, uh, out of Pittsburgh Central Catholic back in the 2017 recruiting class, uh, was a top 100 overall prospect in the composite rankings. It didn't really pan out for him at Penn State. He ended up switching over to the defensive line midway through his career uh but but he was a high level prospect who carried some weight but man you know could move really almost look like a fullback when he got in the open field and donovan harbour brings that kind of burst that that you're impressed by you see him on the surface you don't think he's going to move that way and donovan harbour certainly a mover of men based on what we saw on friday and and meanwhile i was over i saw a couple pass targets in this penn state class as you know tyler calvaruso uh, luke reynolds at the tight end position who has ascended the 24 7 sports rankings just about as fast as anyone i can recall uh, from the penn state recruiting classes in the past six seven years and then also peter gonzalez last time we saw him in a camp studying at penn state was pretty much the definitive moment in his recruitment process, uh, dotting those I's, crossing the T's, and then moving forward from that point on, it felt like he was going to be in the bag for the Nittany Lions. Ultimately, he did commit to the Nittany Lions. So he was back working with Marcus Higgins, leading the wide receiver drills, probably would like a few of those opportunities back from a, from a hands perspective, but he's moving really well, Tyler. I mean, we've talked about him being a bigger frame, bigger bodied receiver who has some physical nature to his game. But the way he's able to kind of come in and out of his break, cut up field, even take a guy downfield straight line speed. He's not going to burn the fastest cornerback at your camp down the field, but most of them he'll get he'll get some separation from it. I think that big senior season's on tap for him. He is well distanced now from the ACL injury that he suffered in early 2022. So excited to see what's next for him. And it wasn't a very busy day for Luke Reynolds and one-on-one work. He spent a lot of that time speaking with Penn State players and commits and coaches over to the side. But when he did put in that work, I mean, it's just remarkable to see him adjust uh, to ball placement. I mean, quarterback play is not the same quarterback every time. You're not sure what you're going to get. It was pretty good quarterback play in this camp, but Luke Reynolds is able to go up, elevate, uh, he, he can go midair, turn around, and I just think that's an edge. He's already got a physical advantage over most of the defender he's playing against the high school level, and that'll probably continue much for much of his college career. But there is kind of an awareness about him when the ball's in the air that harkens me back to Mike Kosicki. And I know that's a that's a connection that Adam Brenneman made when we saw them on the camp field back in May, and, and Brenneman was working with Reynolds at the Elite 11 uh, event, but I really see flashes of that. I keep seeing it. I covered Mike Kosicki during his high school career, uh, and and I actually think Luke Reynolds more of an advanced tight end prospect at this stage. Love seeing him soak up, by the way, the coaching that had nothing to do with the football uh, from Ty Howell. There were a lot of stop-and-start kind of drills, a lot of just nitty-gritty tight end blocking drills, no football seen for out for an hour plus on end. And he was right there listening, soaking it in, getting sweaty working with Ty Howell. So – uh, that was my look at commits. I think just across the board, Tyler Calvaruso, it was a pretty good day in Haluba Hall because when the passes were flying, this quarterback group was overall an impressive one. Uh, Chris Vargas was back in town, if you remember that name, 2028 quarterback who picked up a Penn State offer back in June from the camp circuit. And then another offer that went out following this camp, 
Uh, Noah Grubbs uh, out of the state of Florida. Uh, he's a guy at Lake Mary. Uh, was told to keep an eye out for him coming into camp. Uh, he's, he's got several Power 5 offers, Notre Dame, Miami among them. Here in one at Penn State, it felt like every time I was watching him throw or every time I was wondering who threw that nice dime, this was a guy who, who showed up and popped up in Grubbs. And then the son of a former NBA player at quarterback also picks up an offer, Tyler Calbruso. Yeah, Dia Bell, he plays his high school ball at Fort Lauderdale down in Florida. He was just one of those guys who, I mean, the moment we, me and you got eyes on him, we're like, oh, this guy looks the part. And as the day yes. went on, he definitely did indeed look the part. It was probably the best quarterback group, I think, of any Penn State camp this summer, probably. And Ethan Grunkemeyer camped at a couple early, and those were some pretty solid quarterback groups, obviously with him leading the way. But overall, when it came to the underclass talent that was on campus, it was really impressive. And Noah Grubbs is a guy who's really standing out to me at this point early in his recruitment. His development has been pretty impressive. I mean, he's physically, as a quarterback, reading defenses, if you put on some of his film, I mean, he's advanced as a young quarterback. And I think him and Dia Bell and Chris Vargas, I mean, just the collection of talent that was in town on Friday. I mean, I got the chance to kind of make it back over to Haluba as one-on-ones were ending down winding down. I think I got maybe about 20 minutes, a half hours worth of one-on-ones in me. And I mean, I don't, I didn't see many passes hit the ground. Uh, I think the ball placement was really good from a lot of these quarterbacks that speaks to the wide receiver talent that was at that camp as well. I mean, Kalik Lockett is a top 24 seven wideout who left with an offer. Nike here helped and another one of Bill Belton's guys at Winslow high in South Jersey. He's a 2026 wideout who left with an offer. And those guys, man, they're breaking off some pretty good routes. Luke Reynolds had a route one of the few reps that he took. I mean, he broke to the corner. It was, it was very, very clean. And his route running ability has come a very long way throughout his high school career. It was just the one-on-one portion of the camp and the O-line, D-line work. It was a really, really good final elite showcase camp, as it usually is. The collection of talent that makes it to that final elite showcase camp is usually pretty solid, and it was again this year, and the quarterbacks were spearheading it. Yeah, you, uh, Kalik Lockett, I'm glad you mentioned him, top 24-7 wide receiver out of Texas. He was really, I mean, outside of Peter Gonzalez, I couldn't, you know, he was the guy that I kept shifting to because he kept making plays at the wide receiver spot. He goes home with an offer. The two uh, two young quarterbacks who go home with an offer are from Florida. Uh, so this was a national kind of opportunity for Penn State on this Friday. Um, and, and then just showing the range, so much in-state opportunity as well. 2028 guys, 2024 guys, a lot of range in this recruiting weekend for uh, for Penn State, a lot of range from you, Tyler Calvaruso, and your coverage of it. We appreciate that over at Lions247.com, where again, through Tuesday midnight, uh, we have our free VIP day. So check out a bunch of Tyler's work that he put in over the week and, and our collective work. We've got a notebook from this camp as well, a ton coming out of Lash Bash, and that'll continue, I'm sure, beyond the midweek point uh, in the days ahead. So Tyler, good stuff. We'll talk to you soon here on the podcast. Yep. Thanks as always for having me. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's dive into it with preseason camp conversation because as we referenced at the top of the show, Wednesday marks the start of practices here in Happy Valley leading up to that September 2nd kickoff against West Virginia. We haven't seen this Penn State squad in on-field action since the Beaver Stadium blue-white game back in April. That's about the change for me, Daniel Gallon, and Mark Brennan. We will all be out there on the practice field 
for a portion of this practice number one. We hope to get looks along the way uh, to some degree, at least weekly, uh, leading up to Penn State's kickoff. And gentlemen, last time we spoke, we were in Indy, or you were in Indy. Hopefully since then, uh, you've had a chance to, to rest, charge up those batteries, because it's certainly go time here in Happy Valley. The Wi-Fi situation is a little bit better uh, back in State <laughs> College than than we had out out in Indy. So, you know, it was a it was a good, nice little kind of baptism uh, into the start of football and and really putting it front of mind. And you know, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, we'll be back out there. And then it's I was talking to some people yesterday, and it's just kind of full full speed ahead from here, which I'm pretty excited for. Yeah, yeah Daniel, I want to make yeah. sure you Daniel check your email because uh, we got the note from the Big Ten. <laughs> uh, with the annual Big Ten Football Media Day survey. And I could just tell you for a conference that's worth billions of dollars, <laughs> it's a complete embarrassment, the sort of Wi-Fi set, set, setup they have. I feel I felt bad for the TV people uh, because we were struggling uh, just to get stuff done, and there's really no way around it. So uh, to think that you have a conference at that level that's making how many billions of dollars you know, over the next 10 years and they can't afford Wi-Fi, j- just crazy. So I know nobody cares about that, but it's it was a bone I, I had to pick. I wanted to get that off my chest, and I can't wait to fill out this survey. That's the only thing I'm going to address, I think. The rest of it was fine. <laughs> Yeah, well, you you guys know that Lucas Oil Stadium cannot hurt you. The Wi-Fi can't hurt you unless Penn State goes back there in early December, and then you may have to deal with it once again for a Big Ten championship game. But, look, a lot to happen before Penn State gets on a plane, goes back to Indianapolis in December. A lot needs to happen. And we'll get our first look tomorrow. We, we've been chipping away at the coverage over the course of the summer. You hear a lot of stuff. It's difficult to put two feet, two feet on the bandwagon of some of the stuff you're hearing because – a lot of those things blow up when preseason camp starts and guys actually put on the path and start competing. Some of the hype winds down. What are these lingering questions that you guys feel like have not really been addressed to this point? I know we kind of ended the, the, the Big Ten Media Days talk there a little bit with some of those unanswered questions. But now that we're getting back to the field tomorrow, Daniel, where are your eyes going to land as soon as that practice gate swings open? I mean, the the easy answer is going to be looking at the quarterbacks. Um, you know, what order are they going through uh, drills at? Um, you know that James Franklin has said that they're still in the competition phase. That you know they're still deciding between Drew Aller and Bo Prebula, um, who will be under center uh, against West Virginia. But I think beyond that, I think my eyes are going to gravitate towards this offensive line. Um, you have a bunch of guys back from last year. Um, and then you have some guys that could potentially factor in, like where's JB Nelson? Where's Venga Ioane? Uh, obviously, what's happening at right tackle with Caden Wallace and Drew Shelton? Um, I think that that's where I'm going to look at first because you know, in terms of the overall structure of the offensive line, you have so many familiar names back from last year. You know, guys that played a lot of football. Um, you know, Hunter Norris, that'll be in a new position, but it's mostly the the same guys who are out there more or less when you're at Purdue. Um, what was that? 11 months ago today, pretty much. So, you know, I want to see how these guys look physically. You know, we, Olu looks enormous. James Franklin said he's put on 20 pounds, kept his athleticism. I want to see what the rest of the group looks like physically in pads. And then, you know, maybe see you know, what kind of wrinkles are there, you know, where are the freshmen, those kinds of things with that offensive line. Yeah, Mark, how about you? Yeah, you know, it's kind of gone under the radar, but I think it's going to be really important to keep an eye on that tight end group, uh, Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. I think we're all just assuming they're going to be fine. Uh, Neither guy played much, if at all, in the spring. Both had to deal with injuries last year, and I think we know that if those guys are both 100%, they're going to have an elite tight end group. Uh, And we're just assuming that. You know, we're taking people at their words, and I don't think anybody would purposely mislead us on that. But it's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to say it. It's going to be another thing to see them out on the field. You know, one of the things that I heard James Franklin say multiple times, uh, I think he may have said it at the main podium. He definitely said it at the breakout podium. And I know he said it to uh, Josh when he was doing a a one-on-one interview with him, is that everybody's talking about the wide receivers uh, and that they have to establish that third wide receiver. But the amount of work the wide receivers get the, the amount they're featured in the offense could really be impacted by how much they use the tight ends. And with all due respect to all the other tight ends, none of those guys, I think, you know, they, they all have high upsides, 
but you're not talking about that unless you're going to rely heavily on Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. Two guys went healthy project at that NFL at that NFL level. Uh, so those that's going to be the one part. We, we've kicked this one around a lot. You wrote about it. We talked about it with people uh, out in Indy. But that right tackle spot, I mean, how is that going to play out? I mean, people are just raving about Drew Shelton, and, and rightfully so, you know, seeing what he was able to do uh, last year. But, you know, you're talking about Caden Wallace, a guy who's been in the program a long time. This is kind of it for him where he's got to show that if he's going to play at the next level, and I'm not saying he definitely is, but I I think he has the physical talent to do it. Uh, I think he has the athleticism to do it. But there's been something that hasn't clicked completely for him. And they're in a position now where you have two potentially – you have one guy with a huge upside, I think, in Shelton, and you have another guy in Caden Wallace who's played a lot of football and I, I think has the ability to play at that next level as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see what goes down there. And then over on the other side of the ball, defensive tackle. Uh, I think they're going to be fine. I mean, with, with all the, the the people, you know, we've talked about it with Akeem Beeman, Devon Elise, uh Kaziah Izzard, you know, all of those guys. Uh, Vandenberg, he's a guy who I, I forgot all about in a podcast back in the spring like an idiot. Uh, but I think they have enough players there. But I think was it 247 that rated right the D-lines in the nation and, and Penn State I think was number two or number three. And that's putting a lot of confidence in that group of defensive linemen because we know what the defensive ends are going to be all about. You know, that's not a question mark. They have the talent that defensive end – to, to be elite up front on defense. But I think I think they could be solid at D-tackle, but I think if they're able to be, move above that, that's where this whole D-line could take it to a completely different level. And as we all know, if you have strong D-line play, we've seen this at Georgia the last several years. Their great defense always starts up front. And if you have great defensive line play, we know what the linebackers are about. We know there's talent in the secondary, but that's going to just make everybody better and better and better. Yeah, I think the the if you're going to hang your hat on this defensive line being that good this year, one of the top in the in the country, maybe the top in the Big Ten, then uh, Akeem Beeman uh, is probably going to have to be uh, take that long-awaited next step, right? I mean, it was something we've talked about for a while. Uh, everyone, everyone. That's, I mean, he's been a preseason darling for years now. It feels like, except for the year where he was you know, absent from from the season. But uh, there's always been a conversation about what Akeem Beeman can accomplish if it comes together. And now that that clock is really dwindling on it actually happening here in a Nittany Lions uniform. He's got a bunch of stars to his credit. He's played a ton of snaps to this stage. But to me, he's got to be that disruptive defender, not just the guy who holds up uh, well against the point of attack, not just someone who takes up some space. He's got to be the penetrative force. Him, Zane Durant. Durant, one yeah. of those guys, if, if both of them can be that kind of a presence, then we're talking about a really special group. But I think one of them has to. You can't have Zane Durant. Um, I mean, you, you can get by, I think, if Zane Durant takes takes a small step forward from last year. I know he's added a lot of uh, a significant weight. He feels like he's going to be better equipped to cover the run. But really where he's going to hang his hat on with this program for the rest of his football career is getting upfield, getting into the pocket. And so that's Zane Durant. And then with Akeem Beeman, again, it, it, one of those two, and if both, I think a lot a lot rides on that for this defensive line because I think that Denied Dennis Dutton is going to look like a projected first-round NFL pick by the time the season's over. Chop Robinson's already played like one, and I think he's going to validate a lot of it. And Adiza Isaac, I want people to remember what Adiza Isaac looked like during that five-game win streak last year for Penn State. He was a different player than the guy who showed up 11 months ago on the field for Purdue removed from that uh, Achilles tear. Um, he looked like a completely different player. So the depth stands out, and I'm with you both on the offensive line uh, with right tackle, wrote about it last Friday. I, I think that the film that's been accrued to this point for Caden Wallace, you know, people are, are they have a kind of a mental image of what that looks like for him at right tackle, and it's not good enough for what a right tackle needs to be for a national championship contending team. And meanwhile, people are hearing so much about this great, and we're hearing about it, Drew Shelton, he's going to be fantastic. He's got all this stuff in the world, but some of that is about long-term and some of that is about developmental and, and where he's going to be in the next two to three years. What is he right now? What is he going to be September 2nd, 2023? Is that going to be good enough to, to, to handle business? You'd hope against West Virginia, but I, I think to me, we're destined for a rotational approach here. I, I'd be surprised unless an injury pops up or someone outright 
wins the job. Um, I'm stating the obvious there, but Daniel, rotations are in play. We saw it last year with the right tackle spot. It was Bryce Efter and Caden Wallace. And I just don't know if this month is going to be enough for Phil Troutwine to say, this is my guy at right tackle. This is who I'm going to roll with completely opposite of Olu Fashionu. If he gets hurt, then I'll put the next man in, but he's the guy I'm sticking with. And I don't know if Phil Troutwine gets there even through the first few games of the 2023 season. Yeah, I think we've seen in the past that James Franklin doesn't necessarily mind letting some of these rotations go into the season, um, into, excuse me, through non-conference play. I mean, you think about last year, in addition to right tackle, you had the rotation at left guard with Landon Tankwall and Hunter Norzad. And even when Hunter Norzad was unavailable for that Central Michigan game, you had J.B. Nelson rotating in there. It wasn't until that Northwestern game, you know, game five, um, that Landon Tangwall took the full complement of snaps um, at that left guard spot. So, you know, I, I think that we're going to see some of these battles go into the year, <clears throat> excuse me, especially on the offensive line where there really is such, you know, uh, there is a lot of talent um, and you need opportunities to get some of these players seasoning. You need to get them reps uh, early just in case you, you know, need to rely on them later in the season. You know, there's no preseason to you know run a, a freshman out there for you know 70 snaps just to see what he can do. Um, you know, you're gonna really have to you know figure things out you know in August and then through a couple of those September games. But you know, I'm very curious to see what happens at right tackle. You've laid it out pretty well with some of the things you've written um, about that battle with Caden Wallace, Andrew Shelton. You know, I think that I think both players have upside, uh, different kinds of upside. You know, different each player has you know, things that you are concerned about uh, when it comes to Big Ten play. So how that comes together, what that looks like, what that right side of that offensive line looks like, um, I think will be very interesting to see. You know, against West Virginia, and then you know maybe by the time they're playing Northwestern again um, on October first or September thirtieth, whenever that is, you know how it looks then. And you look at left guard and can Landon Tengwall win that job outright. It's not something that he did last year coming out of camp. Uh, He's in uh, year three now with the program. Very prized prospect coming to campus. We know he's got those leadership uh, attributes. Can he be your starting left guard and be your only left guard? Or or does a guy like J.B. Nelson, who we also know can can impact you at tackle, does J.B. Nelson shake things up and maybe entrench himself as a rotational piece? And on the right guard spot, Salim Wormley had a nice comeback story last year, but maybe that's in jeopardy because Venga Ioane is pushing at right guard. So center, and I don't even want to just say Hunter Norzad said it and forget it because Nick Dawkins is a guy that you really need to load up with reps and and snaps at center right now because he missed a huge chunk of time last year because of an injury, setting him back. And right now he's your next man up, we think, at center. So a a lot of moving parts on the offensive front. And I'll just go to to that first look when we walk into the practice field. I don't know where we'll be standing uh, in in relation to the players, but I want to see what's going on with linebacker Mark Brennan. Five of the six guys last year who, who were with this, uh, who went over 200 snaps on the defensive side of the football are back. Jonathan Sutherland, a backup, is the only departure from that group. You throw three blue chip freshmen in the mix, most notably Tony Rojas, who put on a bunch of pounds, developed a bunch of buzz during his first six, seven months on campus here. And what you've got is kind of this sprawl of names, a mix of experience and exciting young All-American talent. And you've got, we think, three guys out there at the field at one time, maybe even two because of how much they love this defensive backfield. So who does that mean staying on the field? Where are they going to be playing? Guys like Tyler Elsden missed spring camp. Kobe King trying to get that mic job. I mean, where does it all land? Who's out there and, and when are they out there? There's so much fascination for me. And it goes back to spring ball because of what they have brewing compared to last year when you really just didn't know what anybody could do in that group. Yeah, well, now, I mean, I think the two proven commodities are obviously Abdul Carter and the big dog, Curtis Jacobs. That's right. You know, th- those guys will be on the field. But then you look around at the mix and match options that they have with, with guys who have played a lot of football. I mean, Elsden, uh, King. And I know everybody's going to forget about Dom DeLuca, but they, they make the guy a captain for a reason. I know an element of that is special teams, but he's a guy who I thought went in there and, 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 and did well for them. And also missed spring ball. So we got, we got eyes on him too. Yeah, and, that, and, and that's kind of my point. But then when you talk about Elsden and you talk about DeLuca missing spring ball, 
who was the guy that we were talking about in Rojas? Rojas. Are, they gonna, yeah. are they going to be able to hold a guy like that off? And that's not a, a knock on Robinson or any of the other young linebackers. But to me, Rojas was the guy who was out there and we saw it at practice. And, and for people who maybe just kind of, you know, weren't following as closely in the offseason or the spring, uh, you know, the one thing that we said about Rojas when he was out there going through drills, you know, the first person through the drill was, was obviously Curtis Jacobs. He's the leader of that group. Then it was Abdul Carter. And if you haven't been to practice, there are pecking orders in these things. The alpha dogs are the ones who go first. And and it's actually funny. I just want to go off on a little bit of a tangent. But, you know, we were at camp on what the heck day was it? Friday. Friday. And uh, just so people know the way James Franklin is wired, they're doing one-on-ones between the O-line and D-line. And Phil Troutline, Troutline at one point said, uh, is there anybody from the O-line who hasn't been out there with of the O-line campers who hasn't gotten reps? And Franklin said, if they haven't fought their way to get out there and get reps, I don't care. And I mentioned yeah. that because that's the way James Franklin is wired. And Rojas knew this. And it wasn't by mistake that that young guy, he, you know, he's not going to step in front of Curtis Jacobs because, you know, you're probably, gonna, you know, not physically smacked back. And he's not going to step in front of Abdul Carter. But everybody else, you know, lined up behind. And this was, you know, granted uh, with uh, with Elsden and, and DeLuca out, you know, two veterans. And Kobe King was also up there. But regardless, you get my point. And that's very important. And then not only did he do that, but when, he, when we saw him on the field and we saw him in the blue-white game, he looked at home. So it's funny because last year we were wondering who the starters are going to be, who's going to be where. And now we're talking about who are the backups going to be. Yeah. And that's the sign of a good team. So you know your, your, your two outside backers or your outside backer and one of the box backers, however you, you like to phrase it, you know that's going to be uh, Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs. And then Elston and King will probably fight for a middle linebacker spot again or share it or whatever but then how does everything else fall into place and that's going to be fun to me that's going to be fun to watch and again as you mentioned another element just like at tight end where key players miss time in the in the spring allowing others to get reps let's also make sure that kobe king and elston are operating at full go so let's keep some eyes on them and make sure it looks like they're not limited at all there was one other thing I wanted to circle back on that I thought popped into my head as, as you were, were discussing the wide receiver versus tight end usage and, and what James Franklin and Mike Yersich are going to kind of have on the table as they assess those options in September and beyond. Looking back at last year, when, when Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson were unavailable for different stretches and Warren was really limited for a significant portion of the season, all three of those tight ends went over 250 snaps. You had Brenton Strange go over 600 snaps. You had Theo Johnson land just shy of 500 and and Tyler Warren right around 250. You only had four receivers go over 150 snaps. 150 snaps. So you had three tight ends, two of which were to some degree unavailable for portions of the season, go 250 plus, and only four receivers go 150 plus on last year's roster. I just wanted to bring that back up because I do think we're going to see a lot of that 12 personnel. And a big part of the conversation we're having at wide receiver, maybe like linebacker is who are going to be the backups because I, those guys may not have a lot of opportunities if, if you're talking about being the fifth, sixth wide receiver because of what the tight end can do. Well, and also if you're playing that 12 personnel, imagine the nightmares that's going to give opposing defenses with the running backs that you have and how fresh it can, can keep people. I mean, cause the thing about, uh, uh, the thing about Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson is both of those guys are really good pass catchers and route runners, and I think improving and improving is blockers. So, are you know, is Penn State going to run it on a player? It just gives them so many different options, and that's not to say that you know going with traditional two or three receiver sets doesn't give them options. But I just think with those two type of, and, and I'm telling you, I view that both of those guys, when healthy, as NFL type talents. Yes. And you're looking at two NFL quality running backs uh, that, we, that we know of that have kind of proven themselves, I think, and then two NFL quality tight ends. 
and I'm going to go out on a limb and say you have an NFL quality quarterback. And I don't know that we have all of that at wideout. You know, we'll see. I think guys have a, a chance to establish themselves and be that. But I just think if you do go with that 12 personnel, that could be a night, a matchup nightmare for some opposing teams. And I guess a part of that as well, if the equation is that tight end three, uh, the last couple of years, that's been Tyler Warren, and he's done a very nice job playing his part. Right now, Khalil Dinkins comes out of spring and, and goes into the summer and through this summer as the prohibitive favorite. We, we certainly, he has the edge in experience here. He was able to load up on reps in the spring when those top two guys were out. Uh, but we'll be keeping an eye. They, they've accrued some talent here. Jerry Cross was out, uh, off the field for much of his freshman year. And then a guy that we're all high on, Andrew Rappelier, and we've seen him in person now a few times and i'm telling you it's hard not to just take your keep your eyes focused on the new number 87 and the nittany lions uniform as you guys will see here in the next couple of months but uh, uh a lot brewing a tight end beyond just those couple of guys daniel what are we missing uh we've got maybe 10 minutes left here on the podcast i know there are so many different position rooms and groups we could break down and we have all of august to do this folks but right now again just before we get a chance to see this team is this anything getting stirred up for you as they have a conversation I mean, I, I don't think we've had the special teams conversation yet uh, here on the podcast. That's a this big summer. one, man. Um, that's something I wrote about uh, coming out of Big Ten media days. Not, ne- not necessarily specifics of it, but just kind of the broad outline uh, of what James Franklin said and some of his thoughts on the battle where he said that in the kicking game, there's not as much nuance um, when it comes to making decisions and that the the numbers especially for the field goal kickers are are pretty stark you know you know how many kicks uh, someone made you know how many they missed you know where that was um and you can kind of make your decision from there but you know penn state's going to be looking at you know new long snapper new punter new kicker um new kickoff specialist uh which jake pinniger took over down the stretch you know parker washington has moved on after you know taking a lot of punt return duties last year. Um, so really Nick Singleton as a kickoff returner, and who knows how much of that he'll actually do uh, again this year. That's kind of where, uh, you know, where you start from um, with the special teams unit. So yeah, I think that that's something that will be, you know, whenever those uh, kickers are out there, um, whenever those punters are out there, whenever those long snappers are out there, it's definitely something that we're going to have to take notice of and that I plan on taking notice of and, will be, an, I think, a pretty interesting battle, um, especially when you consider how specialized James Franklin and Stacey Collins are willing to make things um, and really div- subdividing the kicking game into all these different categories. So uh, I think there's a lot of names there, a couple new faces, and that'll be a battle that, you know, I, I, you know who knows uh, when we'll see that get sorted out, especially given how last year went. I'll make a prediction here on the show. I'll say that when we get into practice on Wednesday, at some point we're going to see Sanders Sahadak, Alex Falcons get some back to back to back to back kick situations in front of us. I don't in front of the media. I just have a feeling they're going to try to want to get as many dynamics in play for these special teams batters, battles. And I, and I know when they can kind of say, hey, these reporters are going to come in and they're going to tell everybody how you did during this segment. Uh, it, it adds a little bit something to there. And, and, and when you want guys to be ready to maybe hit a game winner in front of 107,000 fans in your home stadium or 85,000 fans on the road, you want to get as many data points as you possibly can making this kind of decision. And Mark, this is training camp number 10 for James Franklin, believe it or not. And we've seen some highs and lows over the course, certainly coming off of a high Rose Bowl victory. And and a lot of people around this program right now will tell you it's the deepest they've been from a personnel standpoint that extends to the roster. It extends to the staff and year number 10 for James Franklin. There's always some different defining themes each preseason camp. What are you going to be keeping a close eye on here? And what do you think maybe his messaging might look like? It seems like every year we can kind of pick on it early what he wants to kind of get out there and how he wants to drive the narrative about his program, maybe their deficiencies, what they need to work on. It's usually things that I think he tries to send internal messages externally. Well, first of all, you're number 10. I scoff at that's nothing. <laughs> I'm your number 35. Okay. So when he gets there, we can talk about it. I'm kidding you. I'm kidding. James uh, making it 10 years in this league. He's now the second most tenured coach in the big 10. So congratulations to James Franklin for that. But I mean, what have, what have we heard at every single turn? Turn. Competition, 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 competition. 
I mean, you know, Drew Aller and Bo Prabula. I mean, we know who the starting quarterback's going to be, but he's preaching competition. And with the depth that they have, he's going to keep preaching competition. Uh, and in some instances, it's legitimate. I mean, and, it, and it's what they, they've lacked, you know, where, you know, he may have said, you know, early in his career that they had competition at a certain position. But then a guy like Donovan Smith kind of mails it in his last year in the program. They had nobody to, you know, they had nobody to replace them. And now they have people to replace people everywhere. So, you know, knock on wood, you keep, you hope that everybody stays healthy, but it's going to, you're going to hear him say, I, I will go out on the line and say the over under on James Franklin saying the word competition on Wednesday is 10. Does that, does that, I'll bet you he says it at least 10 times. I'll take the under because we're not getting James until Sunday. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, you we're not getting any. Inter- I, we're not getting any interviews on Wednesday. Yeah, but yeah. Media oh, day. oh, media day. Sure. Yeah, that yeah. I'm sorry. Right. I'm getting my. I'm getting my days uh, <laughs> screwed up. But that you. That was good. You took the under. Hey, you know what else that, that I forgot to mention that we need to keep an eye on? Even though we saw a ton of them, and one of the great things about covering all the camps that we did is not only that we get to see the young prospects but we get to see the, the Penn State assistant coaches. And you have two new coaches, well, you know, one brand new in Marcus Higgins and one kind of new in former GA, uh, Dion Barnes. But just to see how they work, it, you know, we saw them in the spring. Uh, we saw them throughout all the camps. But I, I just keep an eye on them and see how they go and, how, and see how that, that transition, you know, continues for both of those guys because they're both at very key positions for Penn State. But, yeah, competition, competition, competition competition i'll play off that a little bit i just think a a big factor is going to be how many guys we're discussing as key components of this team who aren't going to be starting uh, starting members of this team and and that's that's a good thing Uh, i think we started to get pretty used to it defensively last year from week one on with with the variety of packages and the amount of bodies that manny diaz put out there defensively but you know whether it's the offensive line and a guy like Caden wallace or drew shelton or a guy that we're high on in venga Ioane, you know those guys starting the game on the sideline or Tyler Warren starting the game on the sideline potentially. And then you go to the linebacker group and, you know, a Kobe King, uh, a Tony Rojas watching from the sideline and, and you work your way through. Uh, Dan, Deny Dennis Sutton is probably going to be a spectator when this team takes its first snap. And then at the safety room is probably the best example of this, perhaps, because you've got four guys that I think this staff uses guys they could absolutely start without really sneezing at the situation. And maybe there's more beyond that once we get through August with the Kari Nelson and and King Mac coming on as freshmen, we got to get let them get some practices under their belt before we throw too much their way. But I think when you look at that group, whether Keaton Ellis, who's already been designated a team captain, you guys talked a lot about him out in Indianapolis. Jalen Reed, who's back as a third year player. Uh, then you got Saki Wheatley, the takeaway king, who everyone has really gotten accustomed to knowing that buzz the last year and a half or so. And then maybe the guy who I don't know if he's the best in the room right now, but. Man, you talk about what he can become, and maybe as soon as September, October, KJ Winston. You know, people will talk your ear off about what this guy is already. You saw some flashes of that as a true freshman. So I'm just going to say, two of those guys won't be out there when when this team hits the the field to play against West Virginia uh, early in that evening. And you know, that's going to be fine because they're going to play a lot of ball. And I just think that is going to be it ties into the competition note, ties into the roster depth note. It just don't get hung up on the starting lineup. Uh, I, I'd say the too deep of this team is going to be well represented week by week. And Daniel, anything that to kind of leave this conversation off with before we uh, get ready to head to the practice field tomorrow, and then we'll come back Thursday with our with our sights and sounds and our thoughts after actually getting eyes on the squad. Yeah, I, I think I'm just curious to see what the feel is around the team. Um, you know, what kind of energy James Franklin uh, is giving off. Um, I thought that when we were out in Indianapolis, he was, you know, of course he, he always kind of thrives in that situation, but I thought this year he was, you know, pretty calm, collected, confident, um, you know, really at ease almost um, and kind of, you know, how he was handling uh, all of the media obligations. So, you know, I want to see what is his demeanor on the football field look like, you know, what does it look like in that first press conference? Um, I think those are all kind of little, you know, maybe not main data points, but there's still things to, to take into account when trying to, you know, really pin down, you know, where this team is at, what it might be, what its potential might be, because, you know, everything starts with the man at the top. 
um, everything flows down from there. So, you know, I'm, I'm just curious to see, you know, what the, what James Franklin and the coaching staff look like um, on that field Wednesday night, you know, what kind of enthusiasm is there, you know, how hard they're coaching the guys, what they're harping on. Um, I think that's something, you know, a little bit more minor um, they'll be looking forward to, to seeing to sort of set the tone for, for this month and this season. Well, I, circling back to Mark's original point, quarterbacks going to be different. This is the first time they're opening preseason camp without either Sean Clifford or Trace McSorley running that show since all the way back in 2015. So uh, a different reality, a lot of familiar faces out there, but that's going to be something that we're all kind of like, well, okay, well, we, we saw it in spring, but now as we get closer to the game, it's going to sink in more and more. Fellas, it's been fun. We'll have a lot more concrete evidence of what this Nittany Lions team is all about. By the time we get to our Thursday episode of this podcast, we will already have a notebook with a bunch of takeaways from the practice field, photo gallery from the practice field as well. And as I referenced just a few minutes ago, on Sunday we are in Beaver Stadium for the preseason media day, which is always a huge event, several hours. We'll talk to a ton of players, coaches. James Franklin will be at the podium. We'll learn a lot more about Penn State here in the next week or so and then uh, getting ready for that West Virginia matchup. Mark, Daniel, Tyler Calvaruso, appreciate all of our guests. Appreciate all of our listeners for now stepping aside. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.